Hey, good morning, Whitewater. You guys are mainly awake, unless you're like, ah. I love it. Nick said there's really cold brew in the back. I thought I might clarify it, just to make sure you knew it was cold coffee brew. Because uh, there are a few people that got really excited, and some people got really nervous. That'll wake you up. I love that last, in that video, like they got the song, Everybody Loves the Sunshine. Is that still true in Washington? Because most, there's a few people that are super excited, but there's a few I saw, you know, yesterday that are just like this, you know, in the shade, afraid to come out. We are the, in Washington where, you know, I guess vampires are, are from, according to some books that came out recently. Anyways, I uh, hope you guys are doing good. So glad you're here. Um, we really want this to be a place where you can belong before you believe, or even that you can bring your friends to and, and, and have a place where they can explore their spiritual um, journey, where they can move forward at their own pace. That's just so important to us. I just want to jump, jump right in, so let me pray and we will get started. Heavenly Father, we love you. I'm so grateful to be here. I'm so grateful to be a part of this community, and uh, would you uh, speak to us this morning? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So I had a friend, um, I had a friend a long time ago. He, uh, he didn't know Christ, he didn't, he, he didn't go to church, he didn't have a family that would ever set foot in church. I don't know if this sounds familiar to you or to your family, but he just would never be caught dead in a place like this. At least that's what he thought. And um, his family came from a family that had just a lot, of, um, a lot of hardship. There's a lot of toxic relationships. There's a lot of struggle with addiction. And, and because of that struggle with addiction, there was a lot of struggle with, um, with anger. Like anger was always... Uh, seething and seeping underneath and there was just like this rage that was just ready to unleash and he had struggled with um, kind of unleashing his temper at the wrong times and it gotten him in trouble and when he looked at his life there was a certain point where he was just out of high school in the college age and nobody in his family had ever gone to school nobody in his family had ever escaped the addiction and the toxic relationships it was just so muddled and abusive and, and wrong like he was at the end of his rope he didn't know what to do anyways my friend um he ended up uh, at a real low point. He uh, was alone in a room, not knowing what, what was going to happen with his life, not knowing if he just even wanted to continue with his life. And he got a phone call. Now, this is before there were cell phones. Someone had dialed him up, you know. My family always had to struggle with that because our fingers are too big, and so, like, we'd have to use pencils or pens. Um, so glad we have cell phones these days. And he got a phone call when he's in this room, just in the in despair, just really struggling. And on the other end of the line, some, some guy had called him, found his number off of like a list of numbers from a co- like a college group of people. And called him in and said, hey, and my friend answered, he's like, hey, this is Bill. He's like, well, Bill, I just wanted you to know that you're a sinner and that God has a plan for your life. <laughs> friend's like, does he now? And just like, well, what's that plan? And then this kid who didn't really know much and didn't know how to describe faith or, you know, he just wasn't great with his words and was fumbling around, shared with him a hope that he could have for his life that just clicked. Like with an imperfect messenger, 
My, my friend fell down to his knees and God changed his life through that phone call, through one person, through one conversation, one phone call, God changed the course of his life, changed his eternal destiny. And um, he wasn't expecting it. He was shocking, it was surprising, but, but God spoke to him on the other end of that, that phone in a way that only he could kind of take that in. Have you ever had God ambush you like that? I mean, you don't even have to be a believer like a Christian. You can be here. And is there, has there ever been a moment where God brought someone with a message or a moment or maybe a, an act of service uh, and kindness and generosity in your life that you were not expecting and God just ambushed you and surprised you? See, God has a way of doing that. It can just be one conversation. It could be a hundred that build up to this one moment where all of a sudden things just start to have clarity or make sense. And, and all of a sudden, maybe the, the, the reality of God's presence and the reality of eternity might begin to make its way into your heart. And what I want to talk to you about today is allowing God to ambush you. Allowing God to use your life to maybe ambush someone else. Now, there might be ambushers out there who love to be like, and scare people or hammer. I'm not saying that. I'm saying allow God to use your life to speak through you, to be generous through you in such a way that it impacts someone's else, someone else's life. And it makes an impact on their life for their eternal destination, for who they are and what they need in that moment. There's this scripture I think is really important important. We often miss it. It's in um, Luke chapter 10. If you guys have a Bible, you can turn there. In Luke chapter 10, it talks about God's plan for using people, messed up, fallible, idiosyncratic people, to change other people's lives. And I want to tell you, there's nothing greater than allowing God to use your life to change somebody else's. Now, you might not believe in God yet, and you might not even be sure that he exists, but there might be some moments that you can look back to and say, man, maybe God was using that, or maybe God is nudging me for these nudges that are happening in your life. And Luke chapter 10 talks about this. It talks about the Father's heart. And Jesus, it says, when he's with his disciples, this is in verse uh, 1, after this, the Lord Jesus appointed 72 others and sent them ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. The need for people to know, to know God is greater than our capacity to reach them. That the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few means that there are, <laughs> there's a world needing God's love. The need for people to know God and to experience Him is greater than your and my capacity to reach them. So we are to pray for God to send workers, to send people into the lives of others. The harvest, what is the harvest? Well, we know from John chapter 4 that the harvest for God is really people. It's people that he loves, that he sends his son to die for, that he continues to send people like you and me into their lives so that we could kind of help nudge them to see God. And we're not trying to, you know, impress people with our, 
you know, knowledge and impress people with our, you know, moral habits and how great we are and how good our personalities are. Our job is to, if we're going to be workers in the harvest, is to help turn people to see and know God, bring people into the greatness of God, to bring them into his love, into his grace, into his goodness, into his hope for their future, into a greater hope for and purpose for their life. Our job is to bring people into the greatness of God. Do you remember maybe a moment in your life where you were blown away by God? In fact, let me ask you that. When was the last time you were blown away by how good God is or the, like the reality of God? If you're a Christian, sometimes people can go years just kind of plodding along in their faith just heads down, just kind of going through the motions or taking care of all the responsibilities, all the weight of the world on them. And, and they've forgotten to look up and just be in awe of this God who loves people freely. You can't earn his love. There's nothing you can do to deserve it. He just gives his love freely. If you've been in a family where you had to earn love and you had to earn your place, God's the kind of God who has a family where he just gives you uh, a sonship or daughtership. He gives you uh, the ability to be a child of God. He loves you unconditionally. If you've ever had a boss, you've been in a work environment where you've got to earn every inch and you got workers and other people that are like jackals who are trying to work their way up the, the ladder of success. And they're pushing and they're pulling people down so they can get ahead. We serve a God who, like, we don't have to worry about getting ahead with him. Like, he loves you as you are right now as much as he ever has. Like, at your worst moment, God has loved you. Like, he couldn't have loved you more in that moment. And it's so radically different than what we experience in the world, and, and there's a harvest to be brought in, and I want to remind us about that. There's a harvest to be brought in. It's greater than our capacity, and, and so Jesus says, pray. Ask the, for the Lord's power to bring more harvesters, more workers, to help people know how much God loves them. Then maybe when God ambushes them, you, maybe you're just the one who says, you know, that wasn't just a coincidence. There's been a lot of coincidences that are aligning your life around this. That seems a little odd to me. Maybe God's been ambushing you. Anybody relate to this? Now, Jesus says, pray to his disciples. Pray that more workers will be sent. But then he, he says uh, in the following verse, verse 3 says, now, now go. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. So we're supposed to pray, and that's, I think that's kind of funny, you know, like, there's a lot of people who like the spiritual disciplines of prayer, and Bible, and quiet, and solitude, which are really important. But then Jesus says, now go. A lot of us get afraid of the discipline of going. Like, let's pray for workers, Jesus says, and they're like, all right, let's pray for workers. You can see everybody bowing their head. Would you, Lord, would you send people to go help, and love, and bless, and do all the, and then Jesus, all right, enough praying, now Go. And people are like, but you said there's wolves out there. Like we're sent out like lambs amongst wolves. Like there's wolves. And some of us, when we think of like going and being the ones who bring the blessing of God, have to share our stories, maybe make a phone call to someone. As crazy as that story of my friend who found Christ. I mean, he admits like, that's crazy. It's probably not the norm. But man, it just goes to show God can use anyone at any given time. And so often we get so afraid because there's wolves out there. We're afraid because like, I don't know if I have what it takes. I don't know if I'll know what to say to somebody if I actually talk with somebody about spiritual things. 
I don't know uh, how to engage someone without being weird. I'm scared to have a conversation uh, because there's sin in my life or there's shame in your life. So God can't use me. Like in your mind, there's this re- these reasons, these fears, because there's wolves out there. God, you can't use me. I'm afraid to go. I think we have to remember the Father's heart when we, when we consider this. The Father's heart. He looks at a world of hurt and brokenness. A world that's addicted to all sorts of things. A world that sometimes doesn't even know it's lost. You ever been with someone who doesn't even know they're lost, but you know it and you're like going crazy in the car? Like God sees a world of people lost and he, and he wants to bring them home. The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. The need in the world is greater than our capacity to reach them. Did you know that we, like according to some study recently, we live in the eighth hardest or most difficult area to reach people for Christ? Do you know that this is one of the hardest areas for people to um, be able to respond and um, to respond to God without having some major objection or major hurt in their life or major reason to stay away from you know, something like this. We live in a, an area that's, that's very resistant. Do you know that we, this area has people that are addicted to, uh, to, to hard drugs, people who are addicted to, um, to, to work like crazy, people who are addicted to uh, sexually addicted, people who are addicted to all kinds of things in this culture in the Northwest, in Seattle, Tacoma, and in this Northwest area. Gambling. People so addicted that they can't stay away from them. We have people so addicted. This is Christians and non-Christians. These are people of faith and people who don't have faith. Like we're all in the same boat. We are in this area where there's tremendous hurt. There's tremendous brokenness and separation in relationships. There's tremendous needs in the foster care system because of addiction and broken, hurt relationships, toxic realities in people's lives. There's anger like that's just simmering under the surface, much like my friend before he knew Christ. We live in an area that is so hurting and broken. And my question is, do you have a heart for those who are hurt and broken? I mean, you don't even have to believe in God to recognize that there's issues going on in our world. Do you have a heart for the brokenhearted? Do you know how much God loves them? And today is a reminder That God has a heart for them and he wants to use you and me. No matter where you come from, no matter what you've been through, he wants to use your life to change other people's lives. Now, one last thing before we jump into some real practical stuff. A lot of times Christians can hear the call to pray and they're like, yes, I'll pray. They'll get excited. The call to reading their Bibles and they'll read them a little bit. They might listen to some podcasts, then you know that'll kind of make up for that. And we'll we'll get excited about that. But then when God says go, it gets real quiet. Like right now. It gets quiet. And, and sometimes people will use this excuse to be like, well, going and it like the term that Christians can sometimes use for going and loving people is evangelism. It's blessing people, helping people know God, know that God's like somehow working in their life. Um, the objection could be it's not deep enough. You ever heard that? Like, oh man, I, I just need things that are deeper. Sometimes that can be true. Like people need to go deeper. But 
Oftentimes when Christians are saying, I want to go deeper, what they're saying is, I want to, know, I want to have more knowledge and, and be like in a Bible study so I can feel safe, like I'm doing spiritual things so I don't have to go and obey God. And I want to say a word about obedience. Imagine the 72 disciples that Jesus sends out in Paris. When Jesus says, okay, let's pray for people who don't know me, and then I'm going to send you now. Go. Imagine if they had looked at Jesus and said, hey, that's not deep enough. We need a Bible study. We need to have a prayer meeting, Jesus, and we're going to just pray and pray and pray. And don't get me wrong, those things are so important to ask God's hand to move, to, to ask him to be present in our lives, to know the scripture. That's so important. But what would Jesus have told his disciples if like a half of them were like, you know, we just need to keep praying and they didn't go. I think it's really important to know that God isn't looking for people with a bunch of knowledge. Some of you guys are like, phew, like that makes me feel a little bit better. Like knowledge is good. and We want to grow in knowledge. We want to know about God more. We want to know his character. We want to know the Bible more, but he's not looking for people with knowledge. He's looking for obedience being obedient to what you know is more important than knowing a lot of things and not doing anything with it. James 4.17 says this, remember it is sin to know what you, are, what you ought to do and then not do it. But there's wolves out there. James says it's sin. You're like disobeying God if you know what to do and then do not do it. And there's so many Christians that want to put spiritual things, important things, ahead of the deeper things, which is obeying God. It doesn't get more uh, deep than obeying Him, than listening to Him and doing what God asks us to do. James four, James one twenty two says, "But don't just listen to God's word. Don't just listen to it. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves." And my fear is. That today, because of fear and because of some kind of spiritual justification that we might have to do the things that we want to do, we're actually fooling ourselves um, out of obeying God, out of doing what he's asked us to do, out of having conversations, out of taking risks. Did you know that the Christian life, the, the life of following Jesus is a life of risk? It's a life where you're willing to step out when it's a little uncomfortable, you're willing to like say, God, I trust you in this. It's, you know, I think that for some of us, there's a moment where like, we have to trust God that he'll forgive us. We have to trust God that maybe he has a, like he's been at work. We have to trust that maybe he's real. But then the walk of the Christian life, the life of faith is stepping out in faith, taking risks moment by moment and doing what God asks us to do. That's where the change comes. And the world looks at the church, and if you're a non-Christian, you're not a believer yet, I'm, you might agree with me. The world might look at the church and say, they, the, the, one of the problems with Christians is maybe that they believe their scripture and their Bible a little too much. But the problem is that, that when we say that, we actually don't know what Jesus was asking us to do. Because the real problem isn't that we <laughs> believe the Bible and believe the scriptures too much. The problem is that we don't believe it enough. The problem is that we haven't trusted the scriptures enough to say like, hey, if God wants me to change my life and love somebody, that that's what he wants me to do, I'm just going to do that. I'm just going to honor that. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to trust him for the results. 
And so many times people and churches will they'll, they'll be afraid of the world and they won't they'll forget the Father's heart for those who are lost and they'll look in judgment. Remember we we've been looking at parties, the summer of party. And like the Pharisees who would look at Jesus, he's a friend of sinners. He's hanging out with these people who don't, like, they don't do religious things. They don't know God. Like, why would you hang out with them? It's because they've forgotten the Father's heart. They, they said friend of sinners as if it was this bad, like, horrible reputation. And Jesus owned that reputation. He said, I am a friend of sinners. And he went where they were at. And he was in the midst of the party. And he like, accepted people unconditionally. Of course he wanted them to grow. Of course he wanted to heal their brokenness. He came not to be with people who think they're well and, and everything's going great for them. He came to heal the sick. So he came to be with people and be close. Like a surgeon can't heal someone from like 100 meters away. They've got to be up close. They've got to see the problem. They actually have to deal with it. And my fear is that many of us might be fooling ourselves and maybe the Christian culture at times might relate more to the Pharisees moment by moment than Jesus' community. Because we don't want to be a friend of sinners. We don't want to be a friend of the broken. Well, how many of you guys have some area of brokenness in your life? Let's be honest. Is there some, someone in here who's got some area that like, man, if I was honest... You know what I love is people who don't know Jesus yet are sometimes more honest than Christians. They're like, yeah, I, I struggle with this. This is amazing. Like, this is a human issue. We all have brokenness. We all need healing. And so when we try to divide the line, us and them, we're fooling ourselves. We are made to trust and obey. That's deep. Did you know that sometimes going to church, learning and learning, or going to a Bible study, study, learning and learning and learning, but not doing is actually a practice of disobedience? They can be actually, <laughs> the funny thing is, there is sometimes people are trying to escape sin by entering into more sin. Because they know more and they do nothing with it. And friends, I don't want that for your life. I want you to have the Father's heart. I want you to like own the reputation. I'm like, yeah, I am a friend of sinners. I'm even my family. I'm still friends with them, and they're all sinners. And that's the kind of church we want to be. So Jesus says, pray and then go. In your moments where you're listening to the Lord, when you're learning about the Lord, when you're praying to the Lord, is there a moment where you realize and you hear from him clearly saying, now go. Do this. Enough knowledge. The knowledge you need is the knowledge of doing. All right. So how do we go? I want to make this fairly quick. How do we go? In verse 4, it says, uh, Jesus says to his disciples, as they're, they're supposed to be going, don't carry a money bag or traveling bag or sandals. Don't greet anyone along the road. He's not saying be rude. He's saying, like, stay focused. Like, I know a lot of you guys are, are scared. And you want to find other reasons because there's wolves out there. You want to find reasons not to go. Go. Don't get distracted. Go quickly. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace in this house. If a, a person of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. What's a person of peace? This is the biblical plan that Jesus gives his disciples. To find persons of peace. 
So a person of peace is someone that God has brought into your life, not by maybe even your planning or your uh, expectation. God brings them into your life. He brings them into your life so that you can bring them to Jesus, so that you can bring his love, you can bring his blessing into their life. A person of peace is someone that God has providentially brought into your life. Now, some of you guys who might be here are, maybe you're here because you are someone's person of peace. Like God has somehow connected you and there's a reason, even if you're kind of like on the surface denying it, in your heart, come on, we know that there's sometimes something going on bigger than ourselves and maybe, just maybe, God is using you and using someone in your life to bring you the truth that you need to know, bring you the healing that you need, the forgiveness that you need. And he's helping you move on your spiritual journey by placing someone in your life to do that. Maybe you are someone's person of peace. Keep reading here. This is Jesus' plan for his disciples. Now, you guys with me? You guys awake? All right. Now he says, uh, if a person of peace is there, your peace will rest on him, like shalom, like hospitality, friendship. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they offer for workers worthy of his wages. Don't move from house to house. And when you enter any town and they welcome you, eat the things they set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. God's love, his kingdom, his goodness, his power is here available for you. When they enter any town and they don't welcome you, go out into the streets and say, well, we're wiping off even the dust of, uh, of your town that clings to our feet as we witness against you. Like, we're just going to leave it. So I want to give you six quick principles on, on how to find people of peace, how to be a person of peace, all right? So this is in your notes. First one is one we've already talked about. Pray, then go. In Luke 10, 2, it says, He told them the harvest is abundant and the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. Now go. Pray, and then go. Are we praying consistently for the harvest? Are we praying that God would put people of peace in our path? Are you praying maybe if you don't believe yet, that maybe, God, if you're real, you would bring somebody that I need to know that can help me move forward because I got all sorts of questions. I got all sorts of issues I want to work through. We'll start with pray, praying. Number two, person of peace is receptive to you. They're welcoming to you. They're hospitable to you. Jesus kind of, his, his plan uh, is connected to the ancient art of hospitality. Back in the, his, the ancient world that Jesus came from, hospitality was huge. If, if you came and you sought asylum or sought hospitality from someone, even if you were an enemy, they would take you in because it was the art and the, like the law of hospitality. It was so serious back then. So Jesus says, we are going to go through hospitality. And a person of peace is someone who is often receptive to you. Maybe they don't know the Lord. They've never heard anything about the Bible. Or they're slightly interested, but they like you. You know, I used to kind of feel and have a, it be taught in my life, in my church, that like evangelism or loving people who didn't know Christ was supposed to be like drudgery and miserable. And it's supposed to be awful. And you're supposed to be like in some desert, maybe in the Sahara or something for it to be legit. But Jesus here is teaching us that like, Oftentimes, there's deep joy when we're letting God use us to, f- to bless people of peace. We have to see them, and they're receptive, welcoming, and hospitable to us. Luke 5 and 6 
say this. Whenever you enter a house, first say peace on this household. If a person of peace is there, your peace will rest on them. Like, there'll be a connection. And when you enter any town, in verse 8, they will welcome you. They'll welcome you, and you'll eat together. They like you, and you usually like them. How many of you guys got people of peace in your life? People that, they like you, they're connected to you, and they're, they're interested. Why do you do, and why do you think the way you think? All right, I got to keep moving, just a few more minutes. Number three, a person of peace often blesses and serves you. Luke 10, 7 through 8, remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they offer you. Don't move from house to house, just stay there. They, they, they're serving you. Jesus is saying they're going to serve you because God is doing something there. Just because someone doesn't know God or have trusted God with their life, it doesn't mean that like God doesn't give them generosity and give them a... Ama- in fact, some of the... Man, some of the nicest people I know, I've met in my life, have been people that are like searching for God and they don't yet know him. And they're generous. Oftentimes, like, think about it. Maybe someone that God has brought into your path for you to help move forward in their spiritual journey is someone that blesses you. Maybe even blessed you before you blessed them. You're like, well, that's not right. We're supposed to be Christians. We're supposed to be the ones who serve first. And, you know, like, no, no, just receive. Just like, it's okay, just chill and receive. Like, let the relationship build. I just think that's so important. I have a friend right now who's a person of peace. He's my neighbor. I love him. He's an incredible guy. And he is always finding ways to bless me. He does it through the aroma and the satisfaction of eating well-cooked meat. It's unreal. Like, he'll make meat all the time. And he'll text me. He's like, hey, I got meat. And I knew it because I could smell it. I was just waiting for that. And he blesses, he's always finding ways to bless me. And we, I just love my relationship with him. He's a person I feel that God has brought into my life. I just feel so blessed by him. And like we're moving forward. You know, I don't, I don't think he believes everything I believe at this point. But man, do we respect each other. Man, do we care about each other. And like, that's what God wants for us. That's what he wants for you. Are there any, is there anybody serving you? Number four, you bless and tell them about God's love. We're to bless and to tell them. Not just with our actions, but with our words. Heal the sick, it says in verse 9. And tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. Tell them God's love and grace is accessible and can be poured into their life. Let them know how much God loves them. Be ready to give a reason for your faith. 1 Peter 3.15 says, If someone asks you about your hope, as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Always be ready to explain it. I was on a plane one time. And this is one of those crazy stories. Someone, you know, like looked and saw I was reading a theology book. And they're like, what are you reading? It's like, well, it's this book and it's boring. And they're like, well, explain it to me. So I started explaining. I said, well, this guy says, most people think that you can choose between slavery and freedom. This author, who I really respect, says, the real choice is slavery and slavery. Who are you going to be a slave to? He's like, that can't be true. I was like, yeah, well, think about it. Like, if you look at someone who's an addict and you're like, they're a slave to that. What a fool. And then you are addicted to, like, making money. Who's the bigger fool? The one who knows that they're addicted or the one who, who doesn't? We're all enslaved to something. That's what the Bible teaches. And also, we got in this conversation for, like, four hours from Chicago to Seattle, I wasn't expecting. I, I needed to get this homework assignment done because it was late. And I didn't get it done. But that, my, my friend, this guy I met just briefly, four hours, walked on the plane, didn't know Jesus, walked off, and he did. 
So you never know what's going to happen. And like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to say. Like, I didn't know what I was going to say. He just asked me about a book I was reading. I just started explaining it to him. You know, like, God will give you what you need to share with people. Number five, persons of peace are often gatekeepers. There's whole communities of people that they unlock relationships to. Number six, don't force it. When you enter a town in verse 10 and they don't welcome you, go out into its streets and say, we're wiping the dust off our feet. We're not going to force it. Don't force it with people. Move on. Still love them, but don't force it. Friends, I want to challenge you with this. It's hot. It's warm. This is the summer of party. I want to make sure that we get you guys out here, out of here on time. But here's my challenge for you. Who are your people of peace that God has brought into your life? Or who are you a person of peace to? Like who has God brought into your life to begin a relationship that helps you move on your spiritual journey? And would you continue moving forward with them? We are to pray and then go and trust in him. Amen? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We're so grateful for you. Lord, would you give us the joy of living a life where you use us, where you have a greater purpose for us, Lord? Would you use our conversations? Would you use the, uh, a, a phone call? Would you use a moment in time that we weren't expecting? Help us to see the people of peace that you've brought into our life. And Heavenly Father, if there's anybody here today They've been searching and they've been seeking. I pray that there be, Lord, would you like open their mind and their heart to the reality that the people that you've placed in their life might not just be a coincidence. That you are wooing, that you are pulling, that you are helping them move forward in faith. In Jesus' name, amen.